and welcome to this Beaver Pod Spotlight on Schedule 3 with me, Marie Rippingale, Chair of the Beaver Equine Nurses Committee. And in this edition, we'll be discussing Schedule 3, including our new Beaver Schedule 3 guidance, the webinar we put together, and the panel discussion we had at Beaver Congress. So I hope you enjoy listening. Thank you. Hi, and welcome to an episode of Beaver Pod Spotlight. Today we have with us Marie Rippingale, who's the chair of Beaver's Nurse Committee and programme lead for Level 3 Equine Veterinary Nursing at Bottle Green. And she's going to be talking to us today about the Schedule 3 guidance, which Beaver has just brought out. Hi, Marie. Thanks for coming today. Hello. Thank you for inviting me to have a chat. So there's been quite an exciting um, sea change going on here. Could you talk us through, first of all, um, why Schedule 3 guidance has been in the spotlight and what Beaver and yourself particularly have been doing about it? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the Beaver Nurse Committee was founded um, just about a year ago. um, And one of the first things that we did was run a survey at Beaver Congress asking people what the problems are really with equine nursing and, and what are the barriers to vets delegating procedures to nurses because schedule three is the specific part of legislation that allows vets to delegate certain procedures to vet nurses within certain boundaries um, and it flagged up on the survey that there was a lack of understanding surrounding schedule three and that was a, a, a significant barrier to the delegation of these tasks um, and we were also looking towards kind of recruitment and retention in that if we could improve um kind of delegation of tasks to vet nurses, then they would be happier and they would stay in their roles longer. And that that would also then have a knock on effect on improving stress um, and reducing workload for vets. So we thought that that was a win-win situation that we'd like to look into more, which is why we started to focus on that as kind of the main project. And we've been running with that for about a year now. Very cool. So basically, yeah, nurses essentially haven't quite been working to their full potential. So, um, you know, as a result, we can try and improve that situation. So you guys created the guidance, which is available on the Beaver website. Um, That's under career support and then under nurses. So people can go and read that. And then what else have we been doing from the Beaver side of uh, things to try and promote this guidance and explain it to people? Yeah, so we we did the the guidance document is on the website. Then we did um, a webinar about a week after we released the guidance um, just to talk through it. So that's about an hour long where um, I basically break the guidance down and explain certain parts of it. So particularly the bit everyone's interested in, which is the list of procedures that we thought were appropriate to delegate. So I've gone through all of those and we've discussed the kind of um, the rules and regulations around them, like how far can you go? Will the, will the nurses already have had practical and theoretical training? in these skills so some of them have been on the the nursing portfolio when they're all signed off as practical and some of them have been basically they've been taught the theory and might need a bit more support in practice so we've gone through broken down how to apply this to practice and then we did a Q&A session um, so that was quite nice so people could kind of throw up to us any of their concerns and questions so I think that's quite useful for, uh, to watch as well so we've got about half an hour of the questions on there too so um, we did that as well as it to try a bit of guidance to go alongside with the document and then obviously the RCVS and BVNA and others have all been involved in this um you then had a debate at congress just gone and um and what went on there at the debate what was the point of that and how did that help 
Yes. So we got the RCVS um, on the panel and we had three um, equine vets and an equine nurse as well. And really lovely, the BVNA turned up too um, to have a say. That was just to kind of air anybody's kind of um, concerns, problems, allow people to ask questions, but also for us to discuss it across the board on how, yes, we've got this guidance. Yes, it's great. Um, what are the problems that are still remaining with Schedule 3 and how do we actually push this forward now? Because it's great to have the guidance, but um, how are we actually going to follow that in practice? Do people have concerns built onto the guidance about how we're going to you know, implement this in practice? Because we can't go anywhere if, if then you know, there are concerns and problems around it. So it's just to make sure that we can implement it properly. And then how do we develop it for the future? Because just one set of guidance isn't enough to change the situation. It's, it's about how we then move forward with that, with the vets on board, the nurses on board, and everyone else in the industry on board as well. And it's actually been really lovely to have the support of the RCVS and the BVNA on this. It's been, it's been fantastic. So that was a very good debate. Well worth watching. Yeah, absolutely. So if you've got, uh, if you attended Congress, you can watch that on your Congress app as a sort of recording. Um, and if you haven't, you can get digital tickets for Congress where you can watch those recordings uh, for the whole lot, actually, the whole of Congress. So get in touch if you haven't got that. Um, and then just going back to the guidance itself. So run us through some sort of examples just to put people in the picture of why this is so relevant and um, and talk through maybe the list of procedures itself so that particularly the ones that have caused a little bit of sort of sticking point for some people and how we can sort of help them understand that and 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 and, and accept it into their own working environments yeah, absolutely. So um, as we said before, the guidance was necessary because Schedule 3 of the Veterinary Surgeons Act is not particularly specific. And so the reaction to that usually is that people tend to avoid delegating procedures because vets um, particularly are frightened that if they do delegate something and it's not something that's appropriate to delegate, that then they'll get in trouble. There's this kind of um, idea surrounding Schedule 3 like that. And so what we wanted to do was sharpen it up and give a list of things. And these are not exclusive. There are other things you can delegate, but maybe the most most important things that we can delegate to nurses to, to help everyone out really so that was that was the kind of point around that um things that are a bit ambiguous about schedule three are stuff like the body cavity problem so um specifically we're not allowed um to perform um any um kind of surgery that enters into a body cavity and that's a stipulation of schedule three but then a body cavity is not specifically defined so what is a body cavity is not defined um, in the legislation so that's a little bit sticky sometimes and we kind of wanted to then give this list of procedures so the vets didn't have to worry oh is that a body cavity should I be delegating it um, and get worried about getting in trouble so that's a little bit more of the background, but we go through that um, on the guidance. There's loads of detail in there. And also there's a summary of Schedule 3 and how it relates to, to vet nursing and delegation of tasks, which is well worth reading, including terms like direction, supervision and direct continuous and personal supervision that we need to be aware about, particularly if we're dealing with student vet nurses. So there's a really lovely summary in the guidance about that. Um, but the list of procedures that um, I think is the most important part of the the guidance document. So we said that administration of medication, including IV, intramuscular, subcutaneous, oral and topical medication is all fine, um, especially if the nurses are um, registered and fully qualified. And these are procedures that are supported by the um, practical portfolio and nurses training as well. Um, so they should be, once they're day one skill competent, they should be ready to go with that. Um, and alongside that, we've also put on the list IV catheterization and taking blood samples as well. 
Um, we pop some stuff in about imaging, so radiography, um, CT, scintigraphy, and magnetic resonance imaging, so MRI. And we're very clear about it's acquiring the images, not diagnosing the pathology, because that is a difference there. We're not supposed to be diagnosing. We are going to acquire the image. We're going to appraise the image from a quality point of view. And then we are going to pass that image on to the veterinary surgeon for um, the diagnosis. So that's all fine. Uh, we put wound assessment, dressing and bandaging. So that's all OK, um, as well as suturing and repair of superficial wounds. So we're talking about wounds that are not entering into a body cavity that aren't major um, that are OK for us to treat. And then we also put on their perineural analgesia. So um, where appropriate training has been completed, because this is not something that is covered um, on the practical skills. So it is covered in theory, but maybe not on the practical skills. So just need to give the nurses a bit of in-house support with this. Um, and we're particularly thinking about nerve blocks with this. Um, so distal limb nerve blocks where the vet nurse feels competent and the vet feels happy to delegate the procedures. That's that's really important with all of these procedures. We are only saying that these are appropriate where the vet thinks that the, the nurse is um, competent to do so and that the nurse is thinks that thinks that they're competent is happy to accept the procedure being delegated. So that, that's kind of a theme that runs through all of this. Um, and with perineural analgesia not being a practical skill that's tested um, during the vet nurse qualification, that's really important. So it's just to give them a bit of in-house support with this. Um, and in the guidance as well, it does stipulate very clearly that the RCVS consider joints and synovial um, joint spaces to be a body cavity. So we are not recommending that nurses are doing joint blocks. So that's something that the RCVS were quite clear about. So they do, do consider that body cavity. So we're just talking about nerve blocks here and absolutely not joint blocks. And that's why it's so important to read the guidance because all of the extra details kind of in there. So um, we do need to go through that as well. Uh, we also had on there passing a nasogastric tube. And that's for the administration of fluids, feed or retrieval of reflux. Um, so that's OK. That's not necessarily on the it used to be on the nurse training practical log, but it actually was removed, um, not because it's not a skill that we can do, um, but just because um, not many practices were able to get the experience for their students. And um, so that was something that might just need a bit of in-house support. Um, and placing an ET tube as well, again, used to be a practical skill, is not necessarily on the, the portfolio anymore. So we might just need a bit of in-house training with that, but that's absolutely fine to delegate. Uh, euthanasia, where there's a veterinary surgeon on the premises. Um, so we're not suggesting that registered nurses are sent out to euthanize horses on a visit, but maybe um, situations where you have got um, a horse that's collapsed and they need euthanasia, as long as that has been directed by a veterinary surgeon and there's a veterinary surgeon on the premises, then that would be deemed an acceptable thing to do. Um, the administration of sedation, probably the maintenance of anaesthesia has thrown up more concerns than anything else. Um, so people have um, said that they're concerned because horses are a high risk species um, and maybe anaesthetists aren't happy to delegate their complicated cases. And, and again, we just go back to the fact that the anaesthesia is a day one skill. So registered veterinary nurses qualify and go on the register having already been assessed in anaesthesia. So we're assessed theoretically and we have an exam in it and we have a practical skills training log that we have to complete to be registered vet nurses. So it is a day one skill. However, again, what we're saying is if the vet does not feel confident to delegate the procedure to the vet nurse, then they should not do it. And if the vet nurse is like, well, I, you know, I guess I've done my anaesthesia training, but actually I'm not confident to monitor a, a colic, then that's all right. And you can say, actually, I'm not happy to do that. So I think there's been a lot of concern around that, but it is all, all around the choice of the vet delegating the procedure and the nurse being happy to take that procedure on. So just, just to uh, kind of bear that in mind. 
Um, but I think it is an area where we can, you know, provide some extra training um, and and really work on that. And it might help to just, you know, le- reduce the workload for the vets and increase job satisfaction for the nurses. Because I love monitoring anaesthesia. It's like one of my favourite things. But then I think I might be on my own with that. So I'll work on it. It's something I need to work on. <laughs> um, the final thing we had on the list was vaccination. Um, and so that's very much um, a second vaccine um, or a booster. Um, the sticking point with that is that the veterinary surgeon um, needs to certify the vaccine and we're not allowed to do that. Um, so if you're going to vaccinate the horse with the intention to certify it, the vet actually needs to see you do that. So there's been some questions raised about that and how that's done and can we use video and things like that. And that was all discussed at the debate, um, the Congress debate, which is really good because we got the RCVS's take on that as well. So that, that would be well well worth going and having a look at. So most of the procedures are, are quite are okay and they're all covered in the nurse training but you know the concerns were mainly raised about anesthesia and vaccination I would say um, and they were very relevant questions that you know and like we said with this list of things this is something to expand on so like yes we've done the guidance yes we've released it but we're always keen to kind of expand it and help it be implemented more successfully in practice so um, I think there's things that we can expand on and offer support on as well. Yeah, and I think that's really important things to remember. You know, some people, maybe this has taken them by surprise. We've had a few people that are quite shocked that a lot of these things can be done by nurses. But as you say, there's been no change, as it were, in what's allowed and what's not allowed. This has been allowed for some time. It's just clarifying what what's already been in place and on paper. Um, and it's optional. And I think you're right. That's a really good point to, to remind everyone. You know, it doesn't mean that all nurses must be doing all these things from, to, from today onwards. Yeah. It's very much this is what the scope is. Um, and then it's up to the individuals and the practices to make their own decisions. But, you know, it's where, where, where a nurse wants to fulfill their career and doing some of these things, then these are these are things that are available to them. And um, with, the, like you say, with the correct in-house training support, et cetera, and with uh, the right, dele- you know, the appropriate delegation, somebody that's happy to do so. Um, so what would you say for those that want to maybe upskill from where they are and, and, and maximise um, what they can do using this Schedule um, 3 guidance? Where can they go next? I mean, obviously, they can go and look at all these things you've listed about the survey, uh, sorry, the survey, about the um, debate and watching the webinar. But there's also um, some CPD coming up. Would you like to just quickly tell us about that? Yeah, of course. So we are so we are aware that we've just thrown a list of procedures at people and that they might not be so confident in doing them. So we're actually going to run some practical training uh, for, for student vet nurses and vet nurses as well, um, based on Schedule 3 and the procedures that we have suggested. Um, there'll be a northern course and a southern course. So one will be run, running at Hambleton Equine Clinic on the 20th of June and one will be run in the south. So that will be at the Lip Hook Equine Clinic on the 29th of June. And these are all next year. So 2024 um so the course content will be a very short update on the guidelines so whether we've developed you know extra support or we've had extra guidance from the rcbs or we've changed anything we've added stuff so we'll do a little update just to make sure everyone's on the same page and then we'll provide practical training um in the following procedures so we're going to look at injections iv catheters blood sampling nasogastric tubing suturing casting bandaging nerve blocking and anesthesia um, and these will all be run on either scenario basings models or cadavers so we're because of the ethics of using live horses for this there is a limit on that and we might use live horses for the bandaging things like that but 
for the nasogastric tubing, we'll have a really good um, lifelike model to use. And same for the IV catheters. You will actually be placing IV catheters um, in a model and the nerve blocking will be on cadaver legs and the anesthesia will be based on on scenario case studies where we'll kind of put you in a situation and, and get you to kind of work out what to do. So I think it's a really good um, kind of um, opportunity to get some practical training and learn from people um, and learn from each other as well because we'll do it in a group setting so it'll be nice and relaxed nice and chilled um, loads of questions to ask and don't worry if, it, if you get things wrong you know it's fine it's just basically for you guys to upskill and to kind of learn if, if you want to essentially that sounds like really good CPD and like you say even if somebody's doing some of this stuff already in practice as a nurse you know this is a great place to come and discuss and see how other people are maybe doing those procedures in their own practices and sort of sharing ideas and and you know there's always multiple ways to do things isn't there so that's a a good opportunity for everybody to get involved in these procedures and learn more about them Um, and for any vets listening um, presumably there could be some out there thinking oh gosh you know this takes some work away from themselves or from interns junior vets or you know impinges on what vets are doing day in day out but actually that's not the point in this this is presumably to complement the vet's work and and obviously it's not that nurses are starting to as you mentioned diagnose or start start to prescribe treatment this is actually the vets are still doing that part the nurses are acting alongside the vets and helping you know acquire images or perform the nerve block for the vet to then interpret and to therefore you know diagnose as as a result Um, and also by allowing nurses to do a lot of this stuff presumably there's a huge um advantage there for young vets and interns to learn from those nurses who have been and will have been doing these procedures day in day out out for many years potentially and have the experience that they can then you know um, uh, withdraw on basically so it should in help it should help really the training and the progression of vets as well as nurses would you say absolutely like we're in no way shape or form trying to steal vets jobs like we're just not interested in that it's more about actually being we train for a long time and it's a hard course and I know you guys do in veterinary as well but I don't think people always really appreciate what is involved in the vet nurse training they train to an extremely high level they are over assessed to the hilt and then when they come out they're not allowed to do half of the stuff they train to do that they spent all that time and effort doing and that's all we want is just to be able to do what we've trained to do to a high level and we would absolutely love to be involved in helping interns and um, new graduate vets you know to progress and and to be able to perform these procedures as well so absolutely it's about kind of paying that back then so once we're allowed to do the procedures and we're trained up we would then love to be part of the supportive teaching team that then kind of like progresses the whole veterinary team forward and therefore hopefully the the equine vet nursing profession and it's been a long time coming yeah and also it benefits no one to guard these kinds of things and, and and to you know the whole point is we're sharing the workload and helping um, you know, with the with the recruitment, retention and staffing issues that we're all experiencing in both nurses and vets. You know, this is this is a way of working better as a team, actually, and allowing there to be more skill sharing and more backup as well for, for practices. And it, it will help the practices run more efficiently, won't it? Let's face it. Definitely. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's a whole team approach. Um, and then once you've got those nurses, if we're happy, we're going to stay where we are. So then you have these people who are experienced and enthusiastic and want to help and we stick around. So we'll be able to help to train people for the future, support our student nurses better. Um, and then, like you say, it kind of has an overall benefit for the practice team. And, you know, most importantly, for the patients being treated, hopefully it's going to improve the standards of, of welfare and care for them, too. 
So there's a survey going out at the moment, which we think is going to probably close around mid-October. So those listening, try and get your, your responses in. Tell us a little bit about that survey. Yeah, so this survey is is a kind of a follow up to um, a um, a kind of program that vet partners are running called Project Nurse, um, and Philip Pritchard, um, a really lovely um, equine vet nurse, has already done a survey, kind of investigating clients' perceptions of the use of equine veterinary nurses and if they're happy for equine veterinary nurses to come out on visits and do some ambulatory work, um, and that's been really positive. So now, as a second kind of part of that um, project, they'd like to kind of find out what vets think about that and what you what the vets think the barriers are what vets previous experiences are with working with equine nurses and whether they would be happy to delegate procedures for equine nurses to go out and do on yards which kind of kind of champion this ambulatory nursing role again to kind of help with the recruitment and retention and the stress and the workload and we'd actually like to kind of go out and about and see if we can talk to clients and do treatments out on yards so yeah it's really investigating like we want to know what the vets how do you feel about this what are your concerns do you think it'd be good? You know, what kind of procedures would you be comfortable delegating um, to nurses? That kind of stuff. So it'd be really lovely to get some some good feedback on that so that then that can drive that project forward um, down the road. So to access that survey, that I think people with the Congress app from this year, they can access it that way, can't they? Through the exhibitors section and then by searching in Beaver. Um, and I think there's also going to be ability to access it on the web page. Um, so, yeah basically get your get your answers in um and hopefully that way we can get this kind of conversation keep it going basically keep it as a a very dynamic area that everyone can can feed back on and um and i know the nurse committee and those that you you're working with will be really glad to have people's support and their and their ideas and thoughts on this Oh, absolutely. I think I think the guidelines and, you know, the start of Project Nurse, it's just the start of it. Like we want to push this forward and develop it as much as possible. Like it's not just that this is going to be released and we're going to go away. It's, it's the start of a, you know, a, a wider kind of push for equine vet nursing and, and to, you know, try and just, you know, yeah, progress the profession and, and help to, to address the, the problems that are affecting the whole industry and not just equine nurses. Yeah. Yeah, we're all in it together. Well, thanks for your time today, Marie. It's been really good to talk to you. It's a it's a massively evolving and really interesting subject that will certainly impact everybody involved, you know, from nurses, vets and practice management. Um, it's going to be ultimately, like you said, a benefit to us all, including our patients. So what more could we want? <laughs> Absolutely. No, thank you very much for having me today. I've had a great time. <laughs> good it's always good to speak to you so yeah don't forget everybody go and look at the guidance that's on the website um and the webinar recording which is open to beaver and bvna members and then the congress debate recording which is open to those with congress both in-person and digital congress tickets and as i say that survey's there on the congress app or you can also access it through the beaver website under the news section in the surveys area thank you very much marie and looking forward to speaking to you again soon thank you Bye-bye.